Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. One of the things that we said on Sunday is that the Beatitudes are the DNA of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus personifies the Beatitudes. That word beatitude means to have supreme bliss. It's the further extent of experiencing blessing and delight, being in such a, a privileged and wonderful place. And yet when we look at the Beatitudes, there is from a human level this conflict between what is blessed and the promise that is given. And that's no more apparent than in this one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. None of us like to mourn. Mourning is a result of our broken, sin-filled world. And yet Jesus gives this wonderful promise, for they will be comforted. And as we said, Jesus personifies the Beatitudes. And Jesus, who has come to reveal the Father, is personifying the Father as well. He is representing the Father's heart. He's representing the Father in every way. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. A couple of definitions here. That word mourn in the Greek is pentheon. And it means intimate, intense, and heartbreaking sorrow. It's more than just being sad about something, and it's more than just crying. This is something that is extremely deep, intense, and heartbreaking sorrow. That's not somewhere that you and I want to go, is it? Panicalian is the word for comforted. And it has several definitions. One is to be comforted or consoled. The psalmist said in Psalm 94 and verse 19, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. The second definition is to find an ally or helper. Remember that Jesus promised that he would send to his disciples after his departure a comforter, one who would be their helper, one who would be their ally, who would guide them and counsel them. The Apostle Paul said to the Romans, May God himself, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, our ally. And then the third meaning is to exhort or to encourage. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and prayed that they would be encouraged by the God who gives eternal encouragement. We said that Jesus personifies the Beatitudes and he is the visible representation of the Father. And when we open the Bibles and we come only to Genesis chapter 6, 
we find that there is a God who mourns, a God who grieves. And he is grieved over the sin of humanity. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. In another translation, it says that the heart of God was filled with pain. God was heartbroken. God was filled with pain over the wickedness and the sin of humanity. So again, remembering that Jesus is the visible representation of God. And if you have seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. And by the same token, the Father could say, if you see the Son, he has fully represented me. We are told a couple of times that Jesus cried in the Gospels. We read in Hebrews that he cried often during his time here on earth. But one of those occasions is when Jesus came into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. And at the top of the Mount of Olives, he paused. The crowds around him were exuberant, enthusiastic, and filled with acclamation. And it was an amazing sight to look over the walls of Jerusalem and the grandeur of the temple from that perspective. And while everyone was filled with excitement, Jesus, however, cried. He wept. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, only you, had known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus was filled with grief over the impending judgment. It was still decades away, but to Jesus, it was very real. These were his people, and yet he knew what their future held because they had rejected him. These were the ones with whom he shared the same lineage. These were people for whom he came to die. And yet he knew that there was a horrible time ahead of them because they had rejected his salvation. I need to acknowledge when I come to this point that I really don't have the heart that Jesus had. I don't have the ability to mourn over some people and some circumstances the way that Jesus did. I have a hard time mourning for politicians. I found myself so often throughout the time that President Trump was in office being 
angry because of the divisiveness, and the way that he would deride people and say derogatory things. And nothing upsets me more than division. Unity is the ultimate perspective or the ultimate characteristic of the Trinity. I pray that they will be one as we are one. I was angry. I, my heart hurt. It was hard for me to pray for him. It's hard for me to pray for those in the incoming administration, knowing what they stand for and the policies that they represent and will promote. I was reading the words of Psalm 106 Sunday morning before Sunday school, and there the psalmist speaks how they offered their sons and their daughters to the idols and shed their innocent blood in the land. And that is what we have done for decades in the United States. And through what we now call reproductive rights, we have shed the blood of so many. God's not going to hold us innocent over that. Blessed are those who mourn with God's heart. We read that the Lord called to a man clothed in linen who had a writing kit at his side. The scene here is Ezekiel chapter 9, and Ezekiel sees the glory of God leave the temple. He also sees a group of angelic men, one with a writing kit and the other with swords. And the Lord said to the man with the writing kit, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. Most of you are familiar with the passage. Following the one who marked those who grieved and lamented, the others were instructed without mercy to kill those who did not grieve over sin. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 136, My eyes shed streams of tears because men do not keep thy laws. There are some things that I can identify with when I read this. There are some aspects of our society where I weep and I mourn because God's laws are not kept. But then there's others like I described to you where I have a hard time weeping, especially over politicians, because of how they misrepresent the authority that God has entrusted to them. And God is going to ultimately bring judgment. We read in Isaiah 26, See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it. The earth will conceal its slaying no longer. In Isaiah 59, God speaks in condemnation against the people and reveals why he has turned his face away from the People of the land. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. 
Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. If Genesis is any indication and Jesus is any indication, then God is weeping over things that go on in our land. Things that sometimes I can weep with God, but things that many times, because of the posture of my human heart, I'm not weeping with God. God is weeping over our land. And God invariably has to bring judgment. We've often remembered what Billy Graham said, if God does not judge America for her sin, then he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. God will bring judgment. Is my heart grieving over the things that grieve God's heart? that will necessitate him acting. Blessed are those who mourn as God mourns. We find in Psalm 38, David the worshiper mourning his own sin. Now there are some Psalms that we recognize are associated with something that David did that was a transgression in the sight of God. And yet there are many Psalms that are not related to anything wrong that David did, and yet he carried with him this deep sense of his sinfulness. And it caused his heart to grieve. And he wrote in Psalm 38, Because of your wrath there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. Am I a worshiper who mourns for his sin? We associate worshiping with praise and thanksgiving, honor of the Lord. And yet the scripture is clear, whether it be David or Isaiah or others, worshipers mourn over their sin, even when they know the goodness and grace of God in their lives. There's a beautiful example in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I've just drawn out the highlights of that passage here. Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee for a banquet. And while the men were there reclining and eating, a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was there. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. You perhaps remember from the story the other details. The Pharisee said in his heart, if this man, referring to Jesus, was truly a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner and would not have anything to do with her. 
And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, presented a little story. There were two men. They both had a debt. One debt was far greater than the other. The one to whom they owed the debt forgave them both. And then Jesus asked the question, which one of them do you think loves the most? And the Pharisee answered, well, the one who had the greater debt that was forgiven. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. And then he went on to say, I came into your house. You did not give me water to wash my feet, nor a towel to dry them, nor any ointment to perfume them. But this woman has not ceased to bathe my feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And that wasn't a simple inquiry. It was a judgmental inquiry. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a beautiful picture of blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, you and I might say to someone, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But when the Prince of Peace and the Savior of the world speaks it, those words have much greater weight. And they bring much greater comfort and a much greater sense of blessing. Worshippers mourn over their sin. The promise is they shall be comforted. We've looked at the words of Jesus. As he was there in Capernaum in the synagogue and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, he read the words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And as part of that passage, as part of that messianic promise, it included these words. The Lord has anointed me to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. For this reason, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. The Jews anticipated that one of the works of the Messiah when he came would be to console. And they had a specific name for the Messiah, a name of consolation. And when Jesus read that passage that day in Capernaum, he was making a declaration. I am the one who has come to preach the good news but also to bring comfort to those who mourn. And oh, what a deep comfort it would be. What a healing comfort it would be. Oil in the scripture is considered to be a balm. It's medicinal. He will give the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And those people who carry this mourning in their hearts, will be especially honoring and glorifying to the Lord as oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
Well, again, as the Messiah, that would be a consoler. In the passage of Scripture that is most messianic concerning the atoning work of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53, we read how the Savior shares our sorrows. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Writer to Hebrews tells us that he was made like us in every way so that he could experience everything that we experience. And that as our great high priest, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus mourned. And I believe in his capacity as our great high priest, he still mourns for us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a beautiful passage of scripture that the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians at the beginning of his second letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. No one in the New Testament era shared more in the sufferings of Christ than did the Apostle Paul. It wasn't something that he hesitated to enter into either. It was something that he willingly embraced. Blessed are those who mourn. He was willing to embrace that difficulty. He was willing to embrace the pain. He was willing to go through the hardship and the difficulty. But oh, he found such a sufficiency of grace and encouragement. He wrote to the Romans and said that God causes his love to be shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He also, as we referred earlier, wrote to the Romans and said that God causes his hope to overflow in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. He also wrote to the Romans and said that it's through the scriptures that we have endurance and encouragement that gives us hope. As you and I turn to God, as we seek him, as we come into his presence, he whose heart has identified with the brokenness of humanity from the very beginning, his heart identifies with us and his comfort through the work of Jesus Christ, through the heart of Christ, through the love of Christ, through the work of Christ will pour into our hearts. There is a supernatural work that takes place when we come into his presence where his grace floods our hearts as the Apostle Paul testified in his weakness. God's grace was sufficient to give him courage and to enable him to go on with hope. God is able to encourage beyond what anyone can humanly give encouragement. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Well, our ultimate comfort is going to be found in the fulfillment of what John writes about in Revelation 21. John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We have a blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate fulfillment of that blessed hope. While we are here in this old order, where sin is the curse of our lives and the curse of the land, where we live with the brokenness of the human race, we will mourn. But there is comfort for today from the God of all comfort. And one day the old order of things will be done away with. No more sin, no more broken earth. No more tainted environment. No injustice, no pride and arrogance, no human willfulness, nothing that is the source of human ill, of sin, of judgment. The old order will be gone. Every tear will be wiped away and everything will be restored to a place of supreme bliss. The ultimate fulfillment of blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Hallelujah. And so while you and I are here, God's heart mourns with us. Our Savior mourns with us. I pray that he would give me his heart so that I would have his mourning. And I would feel the depth of his pain and concern. I pray that he would give me his heart. I pray that he would give me his grace. I pray that he would give you his encouragement. I pray that as you mourn, you would feel his overflowing comfort into your hearts. And then one day, we will experience the full meaning of beatitude, supreme bliss, as we are in his presence and everything is right for all of eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.